Hi, leaders. You're listening to the Leading Her Way podcast, where you learn how to use your feminine strengths to think, act, and become the executive leader you've always wanted to be, while laughing, loving, and living life to the fullest. I'm your host, Dr. Nicole Bryan. I built my career from the streets of Brooklyn to the boardroom as a three-time Fortune 500 executive. Welcome to this shared space designed just for us to openly discuss topics at the intersection of leadership and womanhood that will help you grow your career and lead boldly. All right, let's get this conversation started. Welcome to episode three of the Leading Her Way podcast, where we are all about real talk for women managers and leaders. How to thrive in the roles we have today how we rise to the executive level, and how we excel once we get there. If you're new to my community, welcome. I am super excited that you're here. And if you've been following me for a while, welcome back. Now, if you're a woman leader and one of your goals is to get into the executive suite and you haven't yet had the chance to listen to episode two, then I highly recommend that you put this on pause and go back and take a listen. In that episode, we talked very candidly about three common mistakes most of us make in our careers that keep us from achieving the executive roles of our dreams. Tons of gems were dropped that I definitely do not want you to miss. But while I was recording that episode, it dawned on me that some of you listening might be curious about my own executive story. Now, I've been building my online business for almost two years. And of course, I started sharing content on Instagram. Now I'm primarily on LinkedIn and I've done lots of live events across both platforms at this point. But you know what dawned on me the other day? I've never told my full executive career story. I know, right? Crazy. I'm proud to say that I have almost 30 years of professional work experience. 25 of which has been focused on leading and helping other people become better leaders. I've had the honor to work with some great companies like Citibank, Philip Morris, IBM, Pepsi, Colgate-Palmolive, T. Rowe Price, and MedStar Health. Which is why I get so heated when I see memes or GIFs or hear horror stories about bad managers and poor leadership because I've literally dedicated my entire career to making leaders great and changing workplace cultures. But don't let me get on that tangent. That soapbox ain't big enough or strong enough to hold me right now. So let me bring it back to today's topic, my career as an executive, which is essentially the last 15 years I'm excited to share the details of the journey for the first time right here on my podcast, but I'm even more excited to share my story with you. I tend to learn a lot from other people's stories, and that's my goal, to share my story and lessons I learned along the way in the hope that it will be beneficial to you as well, that maybe you can learn from my mistakes and my wins and you can save yourself time and energy while fast-tracking your career growth. Okay, so let's get into it, shall we? A little-known fact about me is that I earned my first VP title when I was 28. Sidebar, my gift to myself for getting that title was buying my first 
property. So my first VP title was with Citibank, but it wasn't an executive position. I wanted that VP title for years. And it was only after I finally got it that I understood it wasn't an executive position. That's lesson number one. Design your career goals around what you want to achieve, not a job title. Be specific about the what and the how of the type of work you want to do and the impact you want to make. Because titles have different meanings in different organizations. For example, a VP title in Citibank was very different than a VP title in Pepsi. So be careful about chasing titles or salary amounts without understanding what comes along with them. When you hear me talk about executive roles, it won't necessarily be attached to a title on an org chart like vice president or even senior vice president, because those titles are not always in the executive suite. Each company is different in how it sets up their title infrastructure. So for the purposes of our conversation today, let's get on the same page about what I mean when I say executive. Several things have to be in place for me to classify a role as an executive role, including one, being part of the company leadership team, making strategic decisions about the business. Number two, you have a head of position, which means you are responsible for setting the strategy for your discipline or subject matter expertise area. Number three, you hold a fiduciary responsibility to the board, stockholders, or some entity that goes beyond your immediate team. And number four, you are compensated differentially for your contributions. So you participate in the executive compensation program, for example. Executive positions tend to be the highest paid roles in a company, but they are usually high stress positions because of the level of impact and the level of responsibility. Which leads me to lesson number two. Know what you are signing up for by seeking out an executive role. I know too many women who spend years pursuing an executive position. They get it and then realize they absolutely hate it because it's nothing like they imagined. It is absolutely okay for you not to strive to be an executive. It isn't for everybody, and you certainly don't need it to have career fulfillment and happiness. You don't need to take your career to the executive level to achieve success. You, my friend, are the only one who gets to define what success looks like for you. It is your responsibility. It's not your mama's responsibility. It's not your kid's responsibility. It's not your partner's responsibility. It's not your company's responsibility. It fully and wholly belongs to you in terms of a decision. I'm happy to say that I know and have worked with hundreds of professional women who have said, nope, the C-suite, nope, the executive suite, that is not for me. And they are living their best life. I also know hundreds of women who have set their sights on the executive suite, and they too are living their best life. So there is no right or wrong. It's really about 
personal preference and your personal definition of success. Okay, I don't want to beat this point into the ground, but it is so important for each of us to really think about why, not just what we want, but why we want it in terms of our careers. Because frankly, when you are trying to either get promoted or get to more senior leadership roles or get into the C-suite, it is not an easy road to toe. So knowing why we want it and being able to ground ourselves in that fact is what on some days helps us to keep going. And if that foundation is shaky or we are not confident about our why, it will make the road so much more difficult. Okay, so let's move on. So far in my career, I have had three different executive roles, both in for-profit and nonprofit organizations. And in two out of three of those circumstances, I joined the organization as an individual contributor and got promoted into my executive roles internally. The first company that I worked for as an executive was College Tracks. College Tracks is a small nonprofit organization that's dedicated to helping first-generation students get into and matriculate through college. I was originally hired to co-design a new college success program for the organization. The college success program is essentially a program that helps students and makes sure that they stay in college and graduate. When I left College Tracks five years later, I was the VP or the Vice President of Programs and Human Resources essentially the equivalent of a chief operating officer. I was the number two in the organization and everyone else who worked there, except the executive director, reported into me, including the volunteers. So I was promoted four times within five years from an individual contributor to the number two role. Now, my boss was the ED, the executive director. And let me tell you, She was smart as a whip. She was passionate about the mission and she advocated for those kids and our programs like no one I have ever seen before. She was super skilled at fundraising, but running the day-to-day was not necessarily her preference. That was something that I loved. I loved running the day-to-day operations. And so I saw that as an opportunity for me to figure out how I could use my strengths and interests to complement hers. So that's lesson three. One of the surefire ways to secure your executive position is by applying your strategic mind to your career. Strategy in the workplace is not just about market and business decisions. Strategy also has a place with your career. And if you're able to assess your work environment, identify the gaps, and make the case of how you could uniquely help the organization close those gaps, then bingo, you get to demonstrate your value and earn that level up in one full swing. At College Tracks, like I said, I reported directly to the executive director, but I indirectly reported to the board. 
I presented to the board, spoke regularly to the board chair, put together board reports. And then after five years, I decided it was time for me to return to a larger corporate environment. So I left College Tracks and went to work for T. Rowe Price. Now, a former Citibank colleague of mine actually referred me for this open position. She had heard that I was looking And it's actually someone who I hadn't spoken to in years, but she heard through a mutual friend of ours that I was looking and she knew me, my work, my reputation, and she had contacts at T. Rowe Price. So she put my name in the hat to be considered. I went into the office and I interviewed and I interviewed and I interviewed and I interviewed. Over the course of four months, I interviewed with over 30 people and I finally got the offer. Now the offer was for a manager role. The title of the job actually was organizational development manager, but it was not leading people. It was a manager role managing projects, not leading people. Now, T. Rowe Price is a global investment bank. So I was really excited about returning to a global company, but I got to work for a small organizational development team. Now, if you're not familiar with what organizational development is or OD, it's a subgroup or a subspecialty area within human resources. Now, I like telling the story of how I joined T. Rowe Price because there are a bunch of mini lessons in it. I almost didn't go work for T. Rowe Price. And I'm thankful that I did because in my opinion, it changed the trajectory of my career. But the reason why I almost didn't go work for T. Rowe Price was for several factors. One, it took so long to actually get the offer, right? Four months of interviewing and the number of people over 30 people, that's an unusually intense interview process. So that was one thing. The second thing was that when I got my job offer, I was expecting to work at one of their locations, but the job offer turned out to be in a different location. And the different location was 30 more miles away from my home. So my commute was going to be over an hour each way. So this was pre-COVID where we were expected to be in the office every day and working from home was a very rare occasion. At that point in time, we didn't have the technology and nor did we have the office culture where people would just randomly work from home. I remember calling a good friend of mine in the middle of the workday and pulling her out of a meeting so I could talk to her and ask her opinion about what I should do. I was so distraught over not being able to make the decision on my own and I needed a sounding board. So I called her, she made herself available and she talked me off a ledge. I got off the phone with her, I called my soon to be boss and accepted the position. So I started at T. Rowe Price as an individual contributor, as an organizational development manager. Within six to eight months of being there, I realized that there was so much great work 
to be done. Not necessarily enough people, but more importantly, we weren't focusing on the things that I personally thought that we could do to make an even bigger impact with the business. I remember in my one-on-one having a conversation with my boss and basically saying to her that she was underutilizing me. Now, I was very clear and saying that I actually had enough work to do. It wasn't about being busy or not being busy. But what I meant by underutilizing me was that I had so much more to offer in terms of thought leadership, in terms of contributing to the strategy, in terms of drumming up more business for us as a team inside of our organization. And I felt like she was leveraging me in a very junior capacity to her own detriment and to the team's detriment. So I shared that with her. That led to, within the next four years, four additional promotions. So lesson number four, don't assume that your bosses know what you want or understand what you're capable of. Perform the hell out of your job, but also tell people what you're accomplishing or that you want to accomplish more. Don't wait for the promotion to find you or for someone to tap you on the shoulder. It is up to you to be proactive. So the four additional roles that I had within the organization, like I said, started out as manager of OD. My first promotion was to director of organizational development, where I was managing my former peers, so the entire organizational development team. Then my next promotion was director of organizational development and change management, where I had the opportunity to start a change management function for T. Rowe Price from scratch. Then my next promotion was Director of Organizational Development, Change Management, and Employee Engagement, which by the title, you probably can guess that I took on another function of employee engagement for the company. And then finally, my VP role was VP, Vice President of Learning and Organizational Effectiveness. So I had five different departments under me. I had learning or what we called enterprise learning. I had organizational development. I had employee engagement. I had change management. And then I had internal communications or employee communications. It was a global role. My annual budget was $20 million per year. My boss, who had hired me into my first hero price role, on her own accord had decided to take a step back. And now she was a member of my team reporting directly to me. Today, she and I are still really good friends. And we always tell people how unusual our situation was. I didn't have to interview for any of my T-Row promotions. They were all appointments or part of succession plans. But after consistent high performance, my own self-promotion and talking up my accomplishments and what I want to achieve, and talking to decision makers about how I was adding value, offering new ideas, and what we could be doing differently or better. When I was ready to move on from T. Rowe Price, 
I was headhunted into MedStar Health, a $6 billion nonprofit healthcare system. Now, the thing about being headhunted, that was another referral, meaning that someone in my network heard about the opportunity at MedStar Health and they gave my name to a headhunter and that headhunter called me. There were three things that attracted me to the role. Number one, it was in healthcare. And I've worked in healthcare as a mental health provider, but never as an administrator. So that was exciting. Number two, it gave me the opportunity to work for a Black woman. I've never had that chance previously. And so I was willing to take it. And number three, I would have the autonomy to re-envision the entire talent function and set up a totally new strategy. I came in as the vice president of organizational effectiveness, and I had responsibility for things like leadership development, talent management, employee engagement, organizational development, change management, and equity, inclusion, and diversity. While there, I was promoted to vice president of talent and organizational effectiveness. So I picked up the entire recruiting function. I was a member of the executive team as outlined by all the criteria we defined at the beginning of this episode. And here's lesson number five. Relationships matter. There's a prevalent myth that when you reach the executive level, you have all of this independent decision-making power and authority. And having been an executive in various organizations and frankly designed executive teams for so many others, I can unequivocally tell you that that's a lie. Your internal relationships matter so much more when you become an executive because you are even more dependent on other people other teams, and other departments to get the things you want and need done. I spent my entire first year at MedStar laser-focused on building relationships. I learned the ins and outs of how the business worked. I went on-site to all the hospitals so I could see how things went down. And I quickly figured out who my key stakeholders were, learned their priorities, and their personalities. I even aligned myself with the chief medical officer and the chief nursing officer because it was their teams I partnered with to get things done. So there you have it. My first three full-time executive level opportunities. Today, I still work as an executive or what we call a fractional executive which simply means that I serve on the leadership team in a part-time capacity. I have to say that I absolutely love being an executive. Now, don't get it twisted. I've never had a job where I loved it 100% of the time. But being an executive in these three organizations allowed me to have the impact I wanted to make to develop other leaders and help them be successful. And it allowed me to build personal wealth for myself and my family. Those have always been my clear objectives. And it didn't hurt that I got to work with some very, very talented and smart people along the way. And for companies and organizations who were trying to make positive change in the world. All right, lady leader. 
Let's continue this conversation in the DMs. If you have questions about anything I mentioned in today's episode, about any of the three executive roles, about what I'm doing now, or if you want to share what you're experiencing on your way to the executive level or in your current executive position, then send me a message on LinkedIn. That's a wrap for this episode of Leading Her Way. Thanks for tuning in. If you have thoughts, questions, or ideas for future topics, connect and send me a message on LinkedIn. And if you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe and please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. Your review will help spread the word to other ambitious females so they know they're not alone and that this podcast is a community of support for all of us leading her way to the top. Remember, your leadership is needed. Your leadership is powerful. So lead boldly. Until next time.